Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 172 and the first of our official kind of off-season editions of The Sleeper and the Bust. But the cast has not really changed. Joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? Good. I'm, I'm trying to save up, uh, save up uh, like normal nights of sleep before the babies do uh, next Tuesday. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I think that sounds like a fantastic idea, considering that you probably won't have any. I mean, what, what kind, how would you describe your sleep uh, with one baby in the house? Virtual baby. Uh, it's it's uh, pretty much like the Chinese uh, water torture. It's like um, you, you get uh, two or three hours, and then you wake up, and you get two or three hours, and you wake up, and you get two or three. So you're basically just stuck in sort of zombie land uh at least for the first month or so and uh then so, they start stringing together three or four hours and things get a little bit better but uh it sucked with one i think it's gonna be even harder with two but we'll see how it goes i mean you know the older one now kind of goes to bed at uh at nine wakes up at seven which is uh pretty ideal so um if only we had waited a little bit longer with the baby, we could have enjoyed that a little bit longer. <laughs> Way to go, family. Way to go. Yeah. I'm going to blame Edo uh, for that one. I'm going to blame my sperm. Yes. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, <laughs> and I am Nicholas Minix, by the way. Not that most of you care, but I, I probably should mention it because um, that's kind of standard procedure. Uh, and before we get into... Uh, Kind of the main thing we're going to talk about, at least in this first episode, is kind of just you know what is a keeper or who looks like kind of keepers. We could talk about some of the guys in these playoff games coming up in, in the wild card round of the Major League Baseball playoffs. Uh, a couple of newsy items that came across the desk are Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi expecting Alex Rodriguez to be his starting third baseman uh, next season. I can't imagine that this is kind of anything more than lip service for now. I mean, it's kind of like a a team righteous statement to me. Uh, I'm not, I think there's a legit possibility to it. Um, especially cause he's been working out supposedly so hard. Don't have, they don't have any money. Otherwise, I mean, it's right. they, they're, they're pretty maxed out and they've, they've spent a ton of money and I don't see a ton of money coming off the books. So unless it's Martin Prado and basically I think they have to view him as kind of a, he's a fallback plan for a number of positions. Right. Right. So right. it's not, Including third base, Inclu- yeah, including third base. Right, so, if you look at if you look at the last three years, uh, four hundred twenty eight plate appearances, five hundred twenty nine. Last year was one eighty one, a little bit, um, you know, extenuating circumstances in that it wasn't an injury uh, that kept him to one eighty one. Uh, but uh, even if you gave him something like four hundred last year, there's no way you can project him for more than. Um, you know, 450 plate appearances next year. And if you, I think if you did that, even with uh, the decent numbers he's put up into his old age, um, I doubt that you can project him for much better than something like 240, 340, uh, 400, um, maybe maybe 410 or something, which would I think would look like uh, a deep league third baseman uh, in 450 plate appearances might be able to, hit, uh, you know, like 16, 17 homers, 
steal you four or five bags. I mean, it's it's almost mixed league. It's it's very it's somewhat tempting for especially with people with deep benches where you could have him and have another third baseman um, for the backup plan. So that would definitely get my interest in Tout Wars, and that's fifteen team mixed right? league. I mean, that's. It, it, what are we saying here in the grand scheme of things? I mean, but in shadow leagues, this guy is not going to be really, really right. be but that interesting. Leagues, to you know, Tout is a little bit tougher because the benches are short. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the nice thing about Tout is you have unlimited DL. Yeah. So if you, if you had an unlimited DL situation, then you you could take a shot on him, especially if you just looked around the draft room or you're looking in the draft and he's just dropping and dropping and dropping. I mean, at some point it makes sense to take him because he could be an actual starting third baseman, util, corner outfield, uh, corner infield. And um, and then if he gets hurt, you can, you know, there's no real penalty. But if you're in a, say, situation where there's like two or three-man bench um, and maybe one or two DL slots, then all of a sudden you're kind of like, well, you're an old man, dude. And, you know, I don't know. If <laughs> I, I still have no problem. It's like I, I have no problem taking him there. I mean, you, you, start, you, weigh, you weigh the cost at the end of your draft a little differently. Right. Of course, but like, I mean, it's like, okay, I'm still going to take a shot on this guy, but, yeah, but I also have to face facts, sleepers, you know, that are right. less. And also, you just you would hate to get in that situation where he's on your DL, and then you're playing that game where you're just like, oh, do I? Is he? Is he? Does he have enough upside to keep on my DL when the other guy gets hurt? And so, oh, no, that's, guys, that's what I mean. Like, I would cut him then. That's what, I, like, I would, I would take him. Like, at the, I would say, you know what? Maybe the young guy gets the nod here first. But if it's like a situation where I say. Okay, A Rod, I'm this is a guy I'm gonna cut um if this Except happens. If something goes bad. <laughs> right. Because that does because that it, I am I'm also getting now this you know, it's like now I've also got this evidence that it may not get any better either. Right, so. right. Yeah, I think I think in general I would just um yeah, I'd I'd probably say something like if he doesn't have a home run in April, um, or if he's you know already uh, missed games or or is about to hit the DL in April, then just move on. You know. Well, I don't know. See, because like, uh, I mean, we saw like Vmart missed an entire season, and he's it's different age it's different age seasons, but he was what that's his what age thirty four season. That's huge, dude. I mean, he's gonna be forty next year. Right, but I'm just I'm just saying like he spent an entire year away from the game. And it was purely injury related, and so you also had, but you also had, so in, in effect, you also had to take into account that uh, the health aspect. And we're talking about 2013, obviously not this year, but right. just like, I mean, he hit something like 150 in April, and like well into May, I want to say. Like I don't remember right. exactly when he started to turn it around, but um, by June, that's when you started to see that maybe there was a little evidence that he was still be fantasy relevant. With Bmart, because of his age, the upside was better to hang around for. Is what I'm saying is like that's true. You know, it, it, you know, and also you have these like you know with Bmart, you don't have these secondary concerns. Like with Arod, if he doesn't have a homer in April, I mean, just imagine uh, if he's starting a third and there's no homers in April. Just imagine what the crowds are going to be like and what New York is going to be like and how much they hate him anyway. So. Um, <laughs> You know, then then it becomes it starts to become likely he, become, he might even get cut. You know, where they're just like screw it. You know, this money is out the window. Uh, let's move on. So, and I think they there's an there's an there's an outside chance that happens anyway, which is what you were saying about the lip service. And it's an outside chance that happens anyway. You yeah. know, even after what Girardi said. So. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is definitely true. That'll be an interesting scenario. I think there would be kind of a lot of rejoicing 
in New York if that were to happen. I think if they were just cut ties with him completely. Yeah. Uh, indications are also just that uh, the Washington will be going with Tanner Roark in the bullpen. I guess that just basically that kind of it gives you an idea of where they still view him in their rotation in the hierarchy. He still seems to be the fifth starter. That'd be interesting to analyze. I think as we get deeper into the off season and what it means uh, down the road, but uh, at least for now, that seems to be a bit of a statement and could always change as they, you know, say Washington advances or what have you. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of evaluating him, evaluating him as a, as a, you know, what, yeah, I guess keeper or, or just what you think he's going to do next year. Um, you know, I would point out that he only had a 41% ground ball rate and, you know, his resurgence um, supposedly came from this, this sinker that he's got. And the sinker has uh, I w- what I would call a below average ground ball rate. It is a good below average ground ball rate. He doesn't get 50% ground balls on a sinker. Um, so, you know, he still has the, the, the fastball weakness in that um, that sinker isn't super great in terms of outcome. Uh, it only gets 4.8 whiffs, 4.8% whiffs. He does have the good change slider curve where all three of those are above average in terms of whiffs. Um, so he, he's a little bit more like your conventional, you know, pitch type peripheral sleeper than he is, um, I think, what I would call an established um, uh, talent in that he still has this. It's like, well, what do you do? What's he going to do about the sinker? Is the sinker, is everyone just going to start teeing off on the sinker? Um, or is the ground ball rate going to get better next year? Um, because in the past, you know, like in, in 2013, he had a 50% ground ball rate and, you know, in that way he was, he was a better player, but, um, you know, would it be fair? I would, I would, I'm interested in him, but with a six, you know, with the kind of strikeout rate he's got, um, you know, he doesn't have ace like upside, even though he put up good numbers this year, I think there's still some question marks there. And I think that this team is saying, you know, Hey, we realize it too, and we're happy that we've gotten what we've gotten, and we're just going to treat him as basically our fifth starter going forward. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of refreshing to for Washington to view it that way, and not just think, okay, well, this guy put up a sub three ARA, so this is clearly one of our frontline guys from now on. Yeah, like, let's bench Gio Gonzalez for right, <laughs> right, and I think, I mean. Um, that's you know basically you don't want to go with an all right hand maybe maybe their reason is they don't want to go with an all right handed rotation in the postseason I don't know but um, I, I mean I like that I think like is it fair to say this is probably simplifying these pitch type peripheral things a little too much or uh, and giving Roark too much credit but in the sense that like like Roark is not strictly like ground ball god and so he's not like this continued commodity view him like he's still like you said he's this more pitch type peripheral sleeper but he's already delivered like would he be it is like would he be a, a garrett richards in waiting but not with that type type of ceiling except that he's already given us the results and so really we've already seen the upside yeah i think i mean i think when you when you like when you get a rock solid guy like a you because roark has a velocity it's not 97 96 true. but it's like 94 ish yeah. Pretty consistently. Um, I mean, it's weird. There's different readings on his velocity in different places. I mean, like our our pitch type uh, has him at 91.1. Uh, Brooks Brooks is actually always a little bit higher. So I I I, I feel a little better with fastball velocities um, with pitch FX numbers just because there's not that much you can mistake um, in terms of classification. And um, 
I just, I, I to me, 91 1. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's right. It's right. It's right. a little better than, than 92 plus. So, yeah. Um, so, anyway, I, I think of him as a, as a, as a bad fastball guy. And so I just think that at some point, you know, the, the ratio of, of uh, risk to reward goes the wrong way. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, sure. if you have a guy like a U Darvish where everything, well, all the pitch type peripherals support the fact that he's an ace, then he's an ace, you know, and, and everything works out. But if you have this guy that had, you know, a sub three ERA, but he didn't really strike out a lot of guys, he didn't really get a good ground ball rate, and his sinker's not really that good, you know, then you start thinking, well, you know, I better pay for you know, something a little bit more. And then you can kind of go back to, like, the FIP. Like, I, I'm going to pay for 3.5 ERA. His Sierra was 3.9. I think he's a he's 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 a good asset that they found. They found him out of nowhere. It's a great real-life story. I like talking to him. He's really humble and really great. I think he's got three good pitches. I'm a little bit worried about the fastball. So, you know, I think uh, I probably won't own him that many times next year, depending on, on how, how excited people get. Yeah. I, I treat them a little bit more like the Nationals, where I'm like, "Yeah, you're good, but I'm gonna take Gio Gonzalez over you next year." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that yeah, that's the way I would look at it too. Like in the sense, like I, I am, I am almost, I feel almost certain that I won't own him because I feel like he's probably been a lot bigger part of championship teams or people's success period than uh, they're going to remember that he should have been. And right, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, in a mixed league maybe 12 team, I guess. I don't know. I'd look at him as a guy I'd still draft like at the end and I don't think he's going to go at the end. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he's, he's an interesting commodity, but he's not as interesting perhaps as some people will view him. And that, that kind of gets around to what we were going to talk about is of course the keepers. And I think, well, specifically just real quick, I want to talk about, because I, I think like I haven't played in a ton of baseball keeper leagues. I played in actually more football keeper leagues, but, um, the concepts are the same, but and I and I certainly uh, don't. It's not like I've never played in a baseball keeper league. Just want to make that clear. But uh, like, I don't think I've really fully grasped like how many different types of keeper formats there are because I get questions sometimes, and and there's always like a different opportunity cost that I wasn't aware of. And so like I you know I, I think it's important to talk about those things like ahead of time. Like what is a keeper, or who you know who profiles as a keeper if there's any kind of opportunity cost such as a draft pick or such as whatever the guy's salary is or what is what type of salary is added to his already you know the salary you already have him at and things like that like those things are going to matter and so we're going to define players like in general we define them as like maybe an al or an no only keeper or a mixed keep 15 or keep 10 or keep five but there are a lot of different little things that could go into that and uh like Josh Harrison to me is like the perfect example of like uh, if there's any kind of opportunity cost, yeah, then like I'm not keeping him. If if it's if it's strictly like he can be on my roster and that's all that matters, like there's no auction or anything like that. Sure, he could have a spot, and really, I would just hope to trade him. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it's a big deal. I mean, uh, also if you have him at a dollar, but you have Miguel Cabrera at seventy five or something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's that makes a big deal. In auto new, I would think that's especially true. Like you know, Cabrera can be a seventy-five dollars, and like the inflation there doesn't really matter. Or the well, I guess his inflated price. Like I would still keep Cabrera, right? Before well, I, right. I would, so no, auto new is an interesting one because there is no opportunity cost in terms of roster. I mean, 
there is, but you can keep Harrison at one dollar and keep Miguel Cabrera at seventy-five. Right. Uh, but if there was a choice at the end of sort of a keep five situation, where you're like, I could keep Harrison at a dollar versus Miguel Cabrera at seventy-five, then we'd have to know everything about your league. So it is it is difficult for us to talk about these things in general terms. I think is what you're sort of getting at in general. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, and then, but like, so if we could talk when you send in if you send in questions to us to talk about them, the more specific you can get. And so far. The stuff that we've seen has been pretty specific. So and we, we'll probably get to one or two today. And, uh, and and we'll have to, and it'll be a little bit annoying, you know, for listening because we'll have to set it up and be like, well, this person is saying this and this and this. But at least it'll help you understand how we would attack a Keeper League uh, decision like that. And uh, and it would also help us get you a better answer if you if you submit. Yes. Yeah. But uh, and all those things are point. And like, and when we, and, and also when we talk about players in general, will like if uh, if a point comes to us, such as you know these. Well, here's a caveat I would make on this player or something like that. Uh, it may not exactly fit your league criteria, but if and if that, you know, if that creates a follow up question of interest to you too, you're always more than welcome to ask it to us, and we could try to get to that as well. Uh, you know, and, and are we talking uh, twelve team or fifteen leagues, when, or, or fifteen team leagues, when we're talking about keep ten and keep twelves and keep fifteens? Uh, and I generally view it as a, a fifteen team mixed league, but I think pro- I, there's pro- it's probably some debate because people play in ten team mixed leagues and and twelve team mixed leagues, and twelve is probably like that that middle we, that middle ground. We could we could kind of keep it at twelve team mixed leagues if if you like, if that makes seems to make more sense. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, then it, then there's a question of like sort of roster construction. Is there MI? Is there CI? That sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the best might be to say whether a guy is a top 100 keeper or he's a top 50 keeper or he's a top 150 keeper. Um, so then we're just talking about players, number of players kept. Um, and, and whether or not he fits in that player universe. So I think that's probably the best, uh, most used to people. So let's switch over to that sort of sort of uh, terminology. Okay. And uh, just so people see, people get to see the blood and guts of the show, <laughs> we, we decide these things right in front of your eyes or ears. <laughs> and so uh, without further ado, we could talk about, uh, first of all, the Oakland Athletics at Kansas City Royals matchup that begins uh, in just a couple of hours here and uh obviously it's an exciting pitching matchup well semi-exciting depends on how you look at it john lester will be going for the a's and james shields for the royals and there's a number of things i think there's some interesting things just as far as you have to be excited that sam fold is batting second in this lineup today right i mean <laughs> that has to make you giddy and it's interesting that the royals will be going with mike Mustakas at their base at the bottom of the lineup against john lester uh, oh yeah there's a lot of interesting lineup decisions i mean it, it, uh you know Adam Dunn is sitting against a righty uh, in favor of Moss, whose mm-hmm. who's leg hurts and uh, has been having a hard time. Um, and um, Soto over Norris, uh, and Soto for um, you know for his arm, so that he can maybe stop some of the running game. Yes, and I hear that, but I hear that Soto has never actually caught Lester. Yes, so uh, so you're leaving Norris's comfort in Lester's comfort with Norris on the. On the sideline, Melvin just said in a, in a press conference that uh, he thinks that he uh, could catch uh, Lester, <laughs> so uh, he doesn't think it's a big deal. So 
And I can uh, understand. Uh, I, I think I understand that. Um, I also, I heard Tom Verducci say, however, that uh, Lester is like. I mean, he's always been bad at holding runners, and I mean, I don't know. I didn't look this up, but he, and he has first one time this year. Right. So, so how, how much difference is Soto going to make? Guys, Soto's going to stop these guys, even though they get a good jump. I don't know. Yeah, that seems difficult because Soto is. I mean, Soto is. He's a decent defensive catcher. He's not like top of the line arm, but he's pretty good. And right. I mean, it, I guess it's question at this point, like he's, he's probably come into form after come, you know, missing half of the season or more with an injury. So it's probably he's probably about as good as it gets as far as his health is concerned at this point. But uh, it'd be, it'd be, it's, it'd be a lot of interesting stuff that people are going to second guess after this game is over, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, probably they already actually started. before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Josh Willingham is not in the lineup against the lefty. Uh, and they're leaving Hosmer in. Uh, just not that good in general, and he's specifically not good against lefties. So, you know, the 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 uh, the first guessers are, are uh, have have taken their shots. Uh, the second guessers will wait till after the game, I guess. <laughs> um, they might say the very much the same things. I mean, I guess in the end, if I was to pick a favorite, I would pick. I I just always gravitate towards the pitching matchup. Um, the starting pitching matchup. I see Lester as a better pitcher than uh, than James Shields, at least right now. Um, this in terms of what he's been doing this year and how he's looked. Um, and uh, but I do think it's an interesting discussion if you open it up uh, into something that might be useful for a keeper decision and and sort of evaluating these pitchers next year. I'm not sure. I, the question gets a lot harder when you start talking about is John Lester a better pitcher than James Shields in general. Uh, and is John John Lester a better pitcher than James Shields going forward? Um, because, you know, let's say you've got, uh, you know, about eight strikeouts per nine, 3.6, 1.3 whip uh, for Lester. Um, and Shields, that's a career, those are career numbers I just cited. Um, and Shields is uh, a, a little bit less, a little bit fewer strikeouts, 3.7 wh- uh, ERA, 1.22 whip, so better whip. Uh, a few more home runs um, for less uh, for Shields than Lester, and then Shields is two years older than Lester. You know, I guess uh, you uh, you you would normally go Lester, except that Lester's probably had a worse year um, recently uh, than James Shields. Um, you know, James Shields has been under a three five ERA um, every year for for like four straight five straight years, whereas in the last three years. Uh, you know, Lester has a 3.75, a 4.82 year uh, in terms of ERA. So he might have a little bit more variance, uh, whereas Shields um, has more mileage. So, I mean, what, what would you say if you if you were forced to pick between between uh, the two? To me, James see, Shields would it be very easy for you? Yeah, to me, it'd be very easy. It'd be Lester without a doubt. And I think it's I mean, it's primarily because I think Lester's kind of. Uh, newly displayed uh, mastery of the two seam or the, uh, I guess the cutter I think is, is probably his primary pitch and um, the combination of like his command and control. And it's not really, I mean, it would, it would appear to be only this season that that's really kind of hit this uh, kind of peak, but his, his entire second half basically last year was kind of similar numbers to what he did throughout this year. And I think that that kind of steady year and a half, I mean, to me, says that it's all real. And 
like I would expect only mild regression from what he did this season. Whereas we talked about Shields early on an earlier show and about how this is kind of like this year is kind of like the first significant one or first obvious one we see like where him coming like uh, hitting that downside of the bell curve. And I think that just like there's there's some obvious less upside. And I mean, kind of just it wasn't too long ago that what we got from Shields was completely unpredictable as well. Like, I feel like the peak is shorter. Um, the reliability is overall less. So I think and I think like Lesser has kind of reached a new height as far as his con- uh, his control rate, that quote unquote control rate, the less than two walks per nine. I certainly don't think he's going to. It, basically, I think the only thing that could really make me a lot more concerned is if Lester went to like a, an atrocious avi- environment. Like if he went to Colorado, which is not going to happen. Like I think it's hard for me to see how I wouldn't want Lester before Shields. Yeah, the only thing that worries me is that he's thrown that cutter so much. I mean, this year uh, he's thrown uh, 42% four-seamers and 31% cutters. Um, so he's very much, um, who was I just looking at that was so much like this? Madison Bumgarner. He is, he's got a lot in common with Madison Bumgarner. There's not so many, not so many pictures I would, I would say, darn, there's, there's something I didn't want to see. Yeah. I was, I, yeah, I was hoping to turn that into more of a negative comment. Um, I guess, you know, the cutter is not a slider. Um, and, uh, if you're not too far around the ball, then maybe it's not such a big deal. Um, you know, he's, he's really just, you know, not really throwing the change anymore. So he's pretty much, um, you know, these two lefties are kind of, they don't look like Garrett Richards, but they've kind of got that sort of, uh, four seam slider curve thing going on. Um, and, um, and they're actually, you know, what's interesting about Lester and Bumgarner, which before I got into the interview with Bumgarner, I didn't quite um, understand this. If you watch Lester, if you watch Bumgarner, you might not understand what's so amazing about them because their pitches all look so similar. And they've got this sort of riding four-seamer, um, then they've got a cutter and they've got a curve. And then the cutter, they probably manipulate. I know that Bumgarner does this, but I bet you Lester does this too, where they manipulate the curve, uh, the cutter to sort of be sometimes more cut fastball, sometimes more uh, sort of breaking ballish, and that gives you um, basically this whole variety of pitches uh, in terms of movement that are just slightly different from one another. And it's not like, let's say, uh, Clayton Kershaw, where you've got this big old hook. And you've got this nasty slider, and then you've got a change. Or it's not like a, a U Darvish where everything's breaking in different directions and looks vastly different from another, and it's just totally knock you off your socks. It's more like, I, I, I'm not sure if this is the right way to do it, but Tom Glavin, where it's like everything looks the same and then it's just a little bit different. Uh, and, and, and just getting you off that, off that, you know, that pitch just a little bit, um, is is there is why they're such geniuses. So, you know, Bumgarner said in his interview, I want every spin to be the same when it comes out. I want it to look like the same pitch, and then it's going to be just a little bit different at the end. I bet you Lester has a little bit of that that genius in him. Um, and uh, I guess it's, it's, it's sustainable. I don't know why I'm worried. I just, you know, I don't like that the two years coming into this year were so bad. 
I don't like the fact that he had this like one great year and now he's going to be, you know, uh, you know, an ace keeper. Uh, plus, I really don't like their ages. I, my answer might be neither. Um, I mean, if we're talking about uh, top 50 uh, players for next year, I might say neither, just because we've got two 30-plus-year-old pitchers um, who, you know, have question marks on their resume, I would say. And um, so I, I, I think I would try my best to not keep either. I can understand. I mean, like, I'm equating the top 50 to, like, a keep five situation. I mean, and I'm not keeping a pitcher there. So, like, it's, yeah, I mean. Even if it's, even if it's if top it's, 55 and you're keep five in a 15-team league, right? Yeah. I mean, I, wouldn't. I still don't like keeping a pitcher there. Right. No, I wouldn't. But in a, um, like, once but you get the top 100. they'll probably make top 75 uh, players next year in terms of projections, right? Maybe I, would, not. I wouldn't say both of them. I wouldn't say both of them. And I could see Lester being there before Shields. I mean, I think that there's a lot, I think working, I don't want to say working against Shields, but there's not necessarily a lot in Shields' favor because of the, I mean, like the reduced, I mean, we're, we're almost assuming that this kind of dip in strikeout rate, which also, I mean, it's accompanied by a dip in walk rate, which is nice. Uh, but in the end, the strikeouts are really what matter well yeah, to me, both for fantasy. One thing we have to remember, though, is that everybody uh, that everybody gets um, everybody's walk rate got better this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, it just but, not, but everybody's strikeout rate got better this year too, and yet Shields didn't. And Shields does not. Yes, <laughs> that's what I was kind of getting at is, is where I was going with it. But yeah, there was a question also that Sullivan brought up um, with Shields about why his his uh, changeup wasn't valued so well uh, by pitch type values for a while um, and why, you know, on, you know, at, on the year level, it's the first time it's been negative for him. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's weird. The one thing that's weird about uh, the pitch type values, is just about what happens on that pitch. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily uh, uh, talk about the pitch the way that we normally talk about them here. Like don't get, when we talk about pitch type ripples, don't get that confused with um, the uh, pitch type values that are on our on, on fan graphs because those are actually, I think, very flawed in that. Um, like you said, they, they just they, they tell you what happened, basically, is it? Right? Yeah, and they only tell you about sort of balls in play. I mean, yes, they do tell you about strikes and balls, but like there's a lot of balls in play noise in this. And I've actually seen some other pitch type peripheral analysis that talks about uh, slugging on contact, wobble on contact. Uh, or woba, however you want to say it, uh, I probably say it wrong. Uh, but uh, if you if you look at those, I just think there's a lot of noise and there's not a lot of sample when you start taking away all the balls and strikes and whiffs, right? And, and you start looking at balls in play. Uh, you know, pitchers just don't have a ton of balls in play, uh, good ones in particular, in a given year. Um, and then you start breaking that up into you know slugging percentage, and you're not looking at BABIP. So you're not normalizing for some some uh, possible luck factors in there. Uh, that's why you know when I look at balls in play, the only thing I really want to look at is ground balls. You know, Jeff Zimmerman's in my ear. We may look at infield fly balls uh, when we look at pitch type ripples this this off season. We may look at infield fly balls or, or pop ups because we've just there's been some evidence that that's a, a, a repeatable skill. So, but I don't like slug con. You know, that's you know that's that's 
your slugging percentage on, on all balls in play, that seems like there's so much noise that can be in there. One guy misplays one of your fly balls into a triple, and you get you go from a zero to a three, you know, in terms of bases. Well, I mean, those are there's uh, you know that particular example is probably not the best in terms of like because it's spread out. Once you get a large sample, those those go. But away. they're not great samples on a yearly basis. I mean, we're talking about uh, you know it's it's really hard to to. to uh, I think like the over like on an outcome on a ball and play such as like that like that like. The result of an outcome on a ball and play period is just um, – it could be the result of so many other things that deal with such as the sequence or the or the way the pitch appears to the hitter that like it's like – I mean like to me the the negative value in Shields changeup for the first time could have everything to do with anything besides the changeup such as a diminished fastball or like in terms of movement or something like that. Like you would start to look at many other things – like is I mean is is kind of what you're getting at is there's so many other things that could go into such as like if Shields fastball stinks now, it might be just yeah. that like the changeup isn't going to fool anybody anymore. Right, they're sitting on the changeup. There there could be something going on there. Or vice versa. I mean, so I looked it up. Shields has 650, 70 balls in play. I mean, does that does that sound like a big sample? When I'm talking about pitches, uh, you know, overall pitches is 3,600 for him for the year. Uh, so that's a much bigger sample. But I, when I do talk about, like, so, for example, I'm going to go look at James Shields' um, uh, changeup uh, this year. If I say something about James Shields' changeup this year from a, um, a pitch-type peripheral standpoint, I'm talking about 855. So I guess, you know, uh, what am I saying? Uh, that's, not a, that's not a much bigger sample. It's a slightly bigger sample. So, um I guess SlugCon could be okay, but you know, SlugCon is not just all balls in play because some of those were, you know, definitive outs. So you're taking those 670 pitches, and also, actually, no, you're saying SlugCon on the change, right? So if there's 855 changeups, and he has uh, whiffs on 18% of those, so then now you're you're saying, okay, I'm going to take. So it's 80% of the changeups, basically. 80% of 855. Are ball, they're not even balls in play because there's balls too, right? That nobody ever swung out. It says here 21% of his changeups were put into play. So if I talk about the slugging percentage on his changeup this year, I'm talking about 21% of 855 balls, of 855 changeups he threw this year. I don't like that sample. That's yeah, no, that's yeah, that's a small. Yeah, I do uh, talk about ground balls, but I only do that because it's much easier for. There's no scoring error. There's nobody. I mean, it's much easier to say that's a ground ball. And so, then you have then you have such things as what's a what's a league average ball? Uh, av- what's a league average BABIP on on a ground ball? Right. What's a league right. average? Uh, you really BABIP want to normalize for all those things, right. and you're dealing with a small sample. So I just prefer I know the league average for ground balls, and I can tell you a little bit of something about the pitch. If I look at you know whiffs, uh, you know maybe swing rates. Uh, so you've heard me talk about those uh, ground ball rates. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it is interesting. We'll that... Talk about pop-ups rates. We'll, we'll we'll think about that one. Those samples are going to be pretty small, but maybe we can learn something from them. But so, if you, if you look at uh, at, at James Shields' um, changeup, the way we would normally do it on this show, um, it, you know, in terms of you know his whip percentage on the changeup, it's eighteen percent this year. Um, that's just really not that far from where it was last year. It's a little bit down. Uh, last year it was around twenty percent, um, 
you know, year to year, it's about 20, 21%. So he went from 20, 21% to about 18%. There was a dip in the middle of the year, uh, but it, it came back up at the end of the season. Am I worried about that? I, I am in the context of the fact that he's 32, like we've been saying. Um, and, uh, but I don't think that, you know, an 18% whiff rate changeup with a, a good ground ball rate, I don't think that that was a bad changeup. The way that pitch type value says it was a minus five changeup, I just don't agree with that, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still just, a good changeup. I just, I just noticed that, I mean, uh, it's Shields' average velocity on his fastball is actually, it's, it's up. I mean, he's it, this is basically a career now a career high for him. Fastball velocity average uh, at this I think age. We, I think you would get into sequencing issues. If yeah. He, oh yeah, yeah. That's definitely suddenly w that a good changeup was getting you know good whiffs and stuff. I bet you was just using it too predictive. You know, too predictively. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, you know, there's a, some changeup. Uh, there's some velocity differences on his other pitches. So it could just be that you know something like his cutter got too similar to his changeup because his cutter lost a little bit of velocity. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, they, you know, there was maybe people stopped gearing up for the fastball and thought I can either hit the cutter or the changeup because they're both around 85, 86, you know? Well, yeah, that's what I was uh, going to say is like, it's interesting. Like the fast, his fastball is, is basically in the last five years gained about two miles per hour, but the changeup has gained about four miles per hour. Yeah, so, so that, there, that's there, slight reduction. But then also the fact that he is throwing more cutters, which, like you said, have kind of a similar velocity to the changeup. And so maybe, but maybe the other things he's doing are really affecting how valuable the changeup can be in the first place. Right. Quote right. unquote valuable. <laughs> right. So, you know, just, to, or, or maybe a couple guys guessed changeup and hit it for home runs, and all of a sudden the, the values were off. So, yeah, if you face Manny Ramirez at all this year, then. Um, guessing is de definitely a big part of the lack of success for Shields this year. <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, I, you know, do do I would I draft those guys? I think I would actually draft both of them as number twos uh, for me, um, just because I don't think I would project, and you know, we don't have the projections yet, but I don't think I would project John Lester into uh, a strikeout per inning again. Um, and I think that I just think that there's too much history there uh, of a of a of lower strikeout rate in the last two years. I mean, you know, the simplest way to do a projection is Marcel, and Marcel says uh, take last year times five, uh, takes take the year before times three, and take the year before that times two, and divide it all uh, by ten. Uh, that's that's, that's sort a pretty of, easy weighted average. Yeah, it's an easy way. That's sort of the Marcel projection. And all the other projections that are out there in the world only beat Marcel by inches. I mean, we're not talking about uh, they blow Marcel out the water. So mm -hmm. Marcel the monkey is a good way to go. And basically, if you're waiting last year the same as you're waiting the two years before combined in terms of strikeout rate, because the two years before he had about a seven strikeout rate, seven per nine strikeout rate. Um, if you if you wait the last two, two years before, what you're going to get is uh, probably a 20 20% uh, strikeout rate or uh, maybe around eight for nine. Um, I mean, it's good. It's definitely good. But then I think you want to know where he's pitching. Right. Because yeah, uh, because you want to know where all those lost strikes, uh, strikeouts are headed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, I doubt it's open. I mean, yeah, <laughs> um, I doubt it's open. But if he, if he ended up like in Anaheim, which is not crazy because they 
you know, they have some money and it's they, a great place to be or, or, mm-hmm. or LA. Oh my God. I mean, yes, John Lester <laughs> in LA, I'd be super excited about it. So. Yes, please. Yeah. Right. But, um, oh, well, let's talk about some other things going on in this game. Um, We've got uh, uh, Sonny you know, Gray. I know has interested you as, as at least as a keeper topic. We can uh, yeah, just touch not, on him. He's not in the game, but uh, he, he did get them there. Uh, my God, what a what a finish to the season! But um, you know, I think we, we have talked about him a little bit recently, and uh, I think that uh, I, I I think that basically I think what I've said before is just that uh, I just don't think that uh, he has the complete repertoire that he needs to be an ace. Right, um, and, like he's like not a he's not a top one hundred player for me by any means, and yeah. then I think I think he's kind of pushing it for top one fifty. If I have a convincing hitter that I like, I mean, it's, that's kind of where I could I could see the debate for me being like in a top one fifty type situation or a keep fifteen in a twelve team mixed league or something like that. Like, do I have yeah, a really good hitter? You know, it's it's not necessarily that his strikeout rate. I, I would have figured that his strikeout rate would drop against lefties. Um, even though, you know, his curveball that he's got actually has a reverse platoon split traditionally. So, um, you know, it should be good enough to get lefties out. But I think what happens is that he feels he needs another pitch. And if you watch him pitch against lefties, you'll see that he kind of, you know, walks around the mound and, you know, stresses himself out a little bit more against lefties. And the way that it manifests himself, it manifests is that he tries to throw these other pitches like this changeup, which is not very good. He tries to throw those more often. He nibbles more. And what you see is not necessarily a strikeout rate atrophy against lefties. You see a walk rate balloon. So uh, against righties, his walk rate this year was uh, 2.4 per nine. Um, and, uh, and against lefties, it was 3.6 per nine with a similar strikeout rate. So, you know, it's not double, but it's close. And, uh, and if you look at strikeout minus walk rates, he goes from above average against righties to below average against lefties. I, that might surprise somebody. I mean, this is a guy who's below average on strikeout minus walks against lefties. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, um, you know, just in terms of strikeouts minus walks for, for you know, uh, as a together, uh, he's pretty average. Um, so I think that's why, you know, he's a little bit park dependent. And if, if something happened like the A's got blown up this year um, and, and everyone got traded around, I would not like Sonny Gray in another park as much. Uh, I mean, part of his part of what's gone so right for him is that his homer suppression. I mean, he's he's given up about um, you know a half a homer per nine, and uh, hasn't yet given up ten percent home runs per fly ball. Um, and I think that's that's helped keep his his stats down. I mean, his home park basically. But if you look at strikeouts minus walk last year, it was twelve percent, and that's league average. He is a he is a fifty five percent ground ball pitcher. I mean, it's not like he's. It's yeah, it's not like he's totally devoid of home run suppression skills. But right. I mean, yeah, like I mean, just just those things in general. I think it's like Gray is closer to league average than I think people might realize. Yes, yes, because if you look at the ERA, then you then you you fall in love with him. But uh, you know, even a one point one nine WHIP, getting closer to average. You know, the strikeout minus walk rate closer to average. Love him. Um, you know, sort of. I think he's missing something, and he, and I think you know, he, he, if you listen to him talk and you look at him pitch, and you, there is something you know going on. I mean, even this year. So I wanted to ask him about this. I haven't asked him about it yet. Um, you can actually, if you look at Sonny Gray's pitch chart, you can actually see that he changed the changeup this year. 
there was something going on. If you look at the at the at the vertical uh, movement on his uh, on his changeup, I think it's the vertical movement or the horizontal. One of the two movements uh, changed mid mid uh, mid year. It's a horizontal, I think. So his changeup, uh, he did something to it. And if you look, it it, it becomes really stark if you look at the change uh, by you look at the the per game averages. Mm-hmm. Um, his changeup was sort of all over the place, and then it settled back in. So I think he tried something new at the beginning of the year, and then he didn't like it, and he went back to the old changeup, which I think is probably a bad sign because he didn't find what he needed to find. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he might be able to find it in the slider or the cutter. I mean, he, he's got very Garrett Richardson. I mean, it's, it almost looks like Garrett Richards, right? I mean, it's like big velocity, uh, big curve. Uh, you know, if he threw a really good slider in there, a really good cutter in there, he could be – a righty John Lester. <laughs> and, and then we're talking, I mean, yeah, we're, then we're talking, so we need some, we're, like, we need some news. We need Eno to interview him in the offseason or something like that. Like, hey, are you working to add another pitch? Like, when we I hear. Would love to, yeah, it, it, to, to, to vault him to sort of A status, and I did pay, uh, like, 16 or 17 bucks for him something, uh, in AL Labor this year because I'm the kind of guy who loves to collect twos when everybody else is trying to get ones yeah um i want to get two or three twos and and win that way but um uh you know if you were looking for an ace out of him i would love to hear something in spring training about uh a new change of grip i think that would be you know people kind of poo poo uh the new new pitch stuff but in this his case i would listen pretty sharply Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely well yeah it's it's all in the context and it's, it's kind of it depends I think if you're if you have to make a decision, first of all, between John Lester and James Shields, you should just totally pin it on what the outcome of the of tonight's game. <laughs> That's good enough for me. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you can't do that with uh, with Derek Norris, uh, which no. I I think he's a, a fascinating one, and I don't mean yeah. No, you I know, I, I'm I'm talking a, you know a sort of somewhere between AL only. Like he could be the kind of guy that could make the jump. Uh, from AL only into to mixed league action next year. People ask me all the time because I I was big on Devin Mesoraco. Like, who's the next Devin Mesoraco? Um, and I think there's uh, you know three guys. I'm gonna have to look at it a little bit harder in the postseason. And when we get to catchers, you know, on on Rotographs, we'll be looking at these guys. But you know, there's uh, to me there's Yasmani Grandal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Derek Norris. Um, and there's one more that is just not coming to me right now, and I'm gonna hate myself for it later. Uh, mm, hating yourself? Uh, it's got to be Mike Zanino. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it might be Darno, but I think I had a better name. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, the without a list, names always escape me. Well, I think yeah, yeah, I think I mean true. like the thing about those guys. I mean, with Norris and with I mean Grandal. First of all, they're missing one isn't one nice element, and that's the the home park. Uh, and that's you know that's like that has to temper expectations as far as, far as they go. Yeah, but so skills wise, but skills wise, they could be still on the team, same type of that. The only thing that concerns me about Norris is, I think and I mentioned this when we were talking about with uh, Jason for a different reason, but was uh, that the the A's seem to kind of have learned a lesson by the way they 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 sort of seem to have burnt out Kurt Suzuki early in his career. And that's one of the reasons that they tend to carry a lot of catching uh, of players who can catch, or uh, or at any time are willing to play like a John Jaso, uh, you know, had that kind of offsetting piece. 
and now Stephen Vogt might be that for them next year, kind of to offset that possibility for Norris, so that Norris will still may may get his 130 games. But he's, I mean, he ended up making 400, almost 450 plate appearances, and that's probably more than I think anybody really expected him to make this season. And the numbers were really good, but in the end, I mean, he hit 10 home runs and. Uh, Bad at two set. There's not like a great deal of return on that. And like, so what are you talking about? Like, is a ceiling like 15 home runs? Is there going to be a true power breakout here in the next couple of years? Which is certainly possible as we approach basically his power peak, or he's in his power peak. Is he getting close to it? Like, yeah, I guess you know I, the question for me also is like how important his his right handedness is. I mean, especially on a team like the A's because you know John Jason is probably going to leave. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so that that leaves Boat. And or Soto, I think probably vote and not Soto uh, right. yeah. in the mix. Uh, and then the question just becomes, what's the what's going to be the mix between vote and Norris? And are they going to play vote elsewhere and try to get you know 450 or 500 play appearances from them again? Or you know, is, is, are they going to do a, a partial, you know, a, a half half sort of situation? Um, yeah. And and you know I think given Norris's background you could say that there's there's better power upside yeah and then you know even if you gave him another 450 plate appearances next year and no more um, he could hit 15 homers and if he could hit 15 homers that's and pretty nice 270 average then you're you are talking I think something close to mixed league definitely um, that's def- yeah definite mixed me- mixed league material at least in two catcher mixed leagues like, I think he's very much like Mazzarocco in that. You know, he he actually there was some uh, drum beat for for uh, Norris back in 2009, 2010. I mean, he was an AFL guy in 2010. Uh, he had big walk rates, big power. Uh, I remember there being, uh, you know, a decent amount of excitement about Norris. And then he sort of hit 210 in double A and uh, the Nationals said, uh, OK, you're just going to strike out too much for us. And uh <laughs> And then, you know, with the athletics, he's pretty much cut down his strikeout rate, kept the, the nice walk rate, and improved uh, defensively other than, you know, throwing people out. And, um, you know, he's going to be 26 next year. It's still right in his power peak. Uh, and catchers take a little bit longer in every sort of facet of the game. You know, I, I like Norris. Grandal's a little bit younger. Uh, he has a worse park, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, he he has the benefit of being a switch hitter. Uh, I doubt that he'll get fewer plate appearances. I think he could be a, a full-time catcher, maybe even get 500 plate appearances next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, where is he on the curve in terms of improving his strikeout rate? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so will he? What will he hit next year? Will he hit uh, 230 next year? Will he? Will he push it up to 240, 250? I mean, there was you know is that 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 one shining light at his debut with the Padres when he hit 297 and. You know, the world was his oyster. So yeah, I wouldn't. It's like I wouldn't put I wouldn't put a two seventy or two eighty batting average past Grandall, but there's got to be significant. I mean, he's got to get back down to like a the seventeen percent strikeout rate he showed yeah. like in limited time last year or or, uh, or in two thousand twelve. Yeah. So I mean, splits are an issue with these guys, but at least uh, what you know from them is you know now you've crossed the threshold of having a basically a little bit more than a full uh, full season of stats from them, right? Uh, Seven hundred, eight hundred plate appearances. You've seen them play in the big leagues for three years. They're both their teams um, sort of gave them the full time job at one point or another during the season. Um, I mean, these and, and they both had great. Um, 
uh, excitement about them at some point in their careers, uh, their minor league careers. So that, I think that's the Mesoraco plan. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna name all these plans after the after the players that they worked for last year, right? So <laughs> the plan is, you know, kind of the post type sleeper, but a catcher, uh, and and never spend a lot on the Mesoraco plan. I mean. Yes, uh, that's a good I point. was happy with what Norris did for me this year, and he got I got him for like two or three bucks in in AL labor. So, um, anyway, uh, that's the, that's uh, the Norris. Norris is someone to watch, even though he's not in the game. Um, but the the first baseman, I mean, there's just a whole lot of mess there. I mean, uh, Eric Hosmer, Billy Butler, Brandon Moss, they've all they've all really shown. Um, uh, shown flaws this year and shown problems. Is there any? What is there any one of the three that you like better than the others? Yeah, I was I was going to ask you the same thing. I think like, uh, I think if if Moss didn't turn out to have like kind of a degenerative hip condition that needs uh, micro fracture, right? Micro fracture surgery. Then I would like him the most quite easily because I like power. But in, in, a, in the day and age where power is a rare commodity, pretty much, uh, I want the power. Uh, I mean, it's it's not Butler because I would think most often the opportunity cost is just in general. Like I can I can get him for a better price than I'm keeping him at probably pretty yeah. much anywhere. And yeah. Hosmer is pretty close to the same thing, except like. There's just more allure when it comes to Hosmer for most people, and so it then becomes a question of. I, I mean, it's it it might be Moss. It's I, I think I kind of lean Moss, but until I know more about the medical condition and then like, I do believe that you know that he uh, Moss is not quite as old as uh, Mike Napoli, and and they're I don't know how similar their cases are, but I kind of equate them at least for now, and. I don't okay, so we don't like we don't like any of them yeah. in terms of keepers, and probably you'd have to you'd have to be some crazy set of keeper rules to to make them interesting to me. Like yeah, like in like in my uh, twenty team uh, twenty eight keeper league, um, you know. But uh, how about this? Someone offers you one of the three at bargain basement prices, and you have to adjust that bargain basement probably, you know, you know, for each player. So right. Billy Butler for nothing at all, Eric Hosmer for very little, and Brandon Moss for something that won't that won't hurt. Um, which guy are you going to? Are you going to trade for any of them? It would it would only be Moss because I don't see the upside as being as great with any of the other guys. I guess. Yeah, I mean uh, Eric Hosmer. The, the actually, that's not true because I think the upside with Butler is probably greater than the upside with Hosmer at this point, almost. <laughs> yeah, could be. Or, or it's just as good, and the cost is less. If so. the cost is less, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, at this point, you can't really bet on Eric Hosmer to steal anything more than five bases next year. Yeah, yeah. You've talked about how you yeah. not, you know, yeah, stolen bases age terribly, and and you know, and Hosmer himself said to me that. That stolen bases weren't a part of his game, so that, that weren't something that he thought about, you know. So, uh, so those go away. Um, you know, the worst thing I, I think the worst stat about Hosmer's year this year is that he had 312 Um So he had a regular old batting average on balls in play, and given that regular old ball, batting average on balls in play, he hit 270. Um, and you can question his power. Uh, and, and as being maybe tied up in the in the fact that he broke his wrist and uh, or you know hand fracture or whatever that was, 
but the ISO he had this year was the same as the ISO he had in 2012 uh, when he hit 14 homers. So I think the projection for next year is 12 to 14 homers. So now you got a guy who's going to hit in, in projections, probably going to be directed for 20, 270 batting average, 12 to 14 homers, uh, four stolen bases, and he's going to be a first baseman. That's just. This doesn't excite you at all. <laughs> no, it's the kind of thing that I would pick very late in the draft for a util slot. It's the kind of thing that I would say, oh, you know, I'm in this 20-team uh, league with uh, corner out, corner infielders, and, you know, I need a little bit of speed, and, you know, maybe he'll be okay. But it can't it can't be my 20-team league um, with 28 keepers because it, that's an on-base percentage league, uh, and he's even worse uh, in on-base percentage league. So, it's uh, it's a tough package. It's a tough package. I I think you know. In, in, I think all those things t- say to me basically between the two, especially if if I have to give up basically nothing to get Butler versus a little bit of something to get yeah. Hosmer, I want Butler. And in fact, in my Butler still team, in my twenty team league um, uh, with twenty eight keepers, I did actually try to get Butler as a throw in. See, uh, we're actually just here to help Inu. <laughs> Uh, screw the rest of you. you screw the rest of you in a word my pleasure in your leisure let's uh <laughs> let's switch over to, to san fran pittsburgh yeah let's, yeah let's not, let's not drone on forever like we can uh well madison Bumgarner. i mean basically he's a top 50 keeper in the if if you if you're the type who keeps pitchers i assume he's a top 50 keeper i mean i'm not but like anything beyond that he's a keeper kind of thing that's the way i view Bumgarner. Yeah, it's not really know, much to talk about to me he's like I, I said this coming into the season, he's about the most he's about the easiest pitcher I've ever seen to project, at least in the last couple of years, in oh, terms yeah. of consistency and a lot of other things based on the pitches and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, and I did an interview with him uh, and and Dano Daniel Schwartz, who's been an addition, a great addition to the uh, the squad here, at Rotographs. Uh, he actually ran some numbers after my interview uh, with Bumgarner aired or showed, and 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 he uh, he showed that. Once Bumgarner switched uh, to the third base side of the rubber, his release point um, became elite in terms of how tightly it was clustered. So the, the fact that you said consistency, I think that's the main thing with Bumgarner is that, um, you know, even in, if you look at something as minute as his release point, he's consistent. He's got one of the tightest release points. He used to have the second tightest release point compared to Clayton Kershaw. And then uh, after he moved on the rubber, his his release point cluster got even tighter than Kershaw's. So, yeah, I think it's all about consistency. You know, in the interview, we talk about how, you know, his pitches are all the same. I talked about this earlier today. He seems very stable. You know, you worry about the the cutter slider usage. He calls it a cutter, though, so maybe it's not as strenuous on his arm as a slider would be. Um, And, you know... You most the number one question is were you injured last year and he keeps saying no you know he keeps putting up 200 plus innings and you know for what's worth he's really big and you know with the Chris Sale stuff part of what was so bad was you know a he's got recoil in that arm uh, I don't love I don't love how that finishes it scares me a little bit but B he's he's he seems small and frail whereas Bumgarner is like six five two hundred fifty just like you know thick so if that sort of stuff matters and uh and also you know when i was doing searches i couldn't get him to the top uh the top 10 pitchers when i did it by fip or by war or any of those sort of real life uh things but as soon as i started doing the searches by era 
uh, he jumped in the top 10. So we're talking about a top 10 pitcher as long as he's in San Francisco and he's going to be in San Francisco as long as he wants to be. Um, so, you know, if you want to have a top 10 pitcher that's been super, super stable, I'd, I'd go yeah. with Bumgarner. I think yeah, like uh, I hate to I hate to cheat or give away part of the farm or whatever whatever the you know stupid cliche that I'm screwing up is, but uh, like Zach Sanders, his uh, end of season values and Bumgarner comes in just inside the top fifty. He doesn't come in next to uh, well, of course Clayton Kershaw, but Johnny Cueto who was a, a huge mover this year. Felix Hernandez, of course, that's another guy that you could put. I mean, like if you're going to keep a pitcher and it's it's not Clayton Kershaw, then it might be Felix Hernandez. But like after those guys, to me, Bumgarner is one of those guys that kind of fits that criteria. Like I, I would probably keep Bumgarner before I kept an Adam Wainwright. Oh yeah, I mean the age differences on those two for sure. So, despite the fact that uh, you know. Wainwright probably had a, a more valuable season in terms of fantasy production. I still would be keeping a Bumgarner first. And a Lester and even a Sale, I think for those, like you said, for that kind of reasons you cited. David Price, uh, I mean, he's, that's a that's an interesting case, I guess. Maybe that's where the, I started to run into a debate. But Bumgarner is just one of those commodities. It's like I, it's it's almost chalk to me. And that's that's hard to say for a pitcher. Yeah. Uh, Edinson Volquez, totally different story. I mean, I guess it's like a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking like whatever Francisco Liriano was coming into la- this, this season, like times 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is this a guy a keeper? I mean, he's an NL only keeper. Like, is that about it? Like, is can you envision a mixed league scenario? Oh, I just love, you know, Mike Petriello had a great post on this where he just showed that Volquez's, you know, FIP and XFIP were, like, basically flatlined. And, <laughs> uh, and and his ERA was the one that was just, like, EKGing off the charts. So, yeah, I I I do think it's interesting if he, show, if he ends up back in front of a great framer again. Um, and, and, you know... There was some talk in that piece about how Searage, the, the the great pitching coach over there, did some uh, did some things with his mechanics. But you know, yeah, that's what it's ultimately about for me. It's it's the environment. I mean, there are so many variables that go into Volquez's success that I don't want to touch him unless all those things are still in place. Even if they do, uh, yeah, you know, even then, like you're probably it came up in this it. interview with Carl Crawford. I did when I asked him about his running his injuries, and he said his running style. Um, it makes him susceptible to injuries, and I didn't know what that meant. He said he runs too he runs too long. His strides are too long, and that and that creates hamstring injuries. And he said he has someone on the Dodgers who watches him run, run around the bases, run wherever. Anytime Carl Crawford is running, somebody on the Dodgers is watching him. And when they watch him, and then they see him get a little bit long, they tap him on the shoulder when he gets back to the dugout. And they say, "You're getting a little bit long. Knees up, toes up." So. It's the kind of thing where your body is always fighting to go back to, you know, and, and Jamie Rollins said in our interview too, your body's always fighting to go back to whatever is natural for it, whatever you did before, whatever, you know, you started with. So, you know, Edison Volquez, whatever he's changed this year, his body is fighting to go back to the old ways. And then there's uh, going to be the winner. <laughs> and, and and probably the body's going to win. I mean, that's what Jamie Rollins said. Your body's going to win in the end. The best thing you can do is learn yoga and, you know, try to sense when it's going. 
it's it's some kind of wise stuff. I, I <laughs> seriously, it is, and I think, but you know, I think that's like that's what uh, I guess on a sort of not so related kind of related topic is like a, that's kind of why I thought Chase Utley was a much better buy coming into this season is because he actually spent an entire winter of uh, maintaining his body as opposed to. Like in the previous two off seasons, he's coming off major questions about his knee, and he doesn't start the off season work until base or he doesn't start. He basically goes into a a normal route. What is otherwise a normal routine for him? It's like, dude, your knees are not normal, so like you need to do something different. And that's why he wasn't available until May or June in those previous two seasons, and why he didn't do anything fantasy wise. This past season, it was a totally different story, or the previous, or I should say the previous season. And I mean, he. Basically, he he has to work out year round, which is right. not really what baseball players want to be doing. It's not what anybody wants to be doing. But and that may I don't know what that effect is going to have on his career long term. But that's pretty much the only way he can maintain. Yeah, uh, because I mean he's bone on bone in those knees, and yeah, and I, as much as I think as a degenerative knee condition, I and I don't want to touch it. Um, you know, there are prices where I would touch it just because I do like what he did this year, and, and because of what you're saying, he's you can build up. He knows around the knee and, and be useful into your 30s. Um, he, he knows now what it takes to be successful, and he can continue to do that. There's going to be a diminishing return. At some point, it's going to crash yeah. on you, but the cost should probably go down because people don't expect it to continue yeah. to be. And, and that's – but like with a Volquez, does he know – it's like is he aware? Does he like – you know, is he going to wake up and do yoga or meditate every day on things like, you know, uh, crane kick and, and – Wax on, wax off. Is he going to do that every day of the off season to make sure that he comes into spring training ready, or is he going to have like a, a an atrocious April and May again? Uh, because people are. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, there are going to be a lot of things going into. People are going to point to a lot of reasons also that he will will end up have not having not been successful again next year, <laughs> and okay. it will all just boil down to it's like is Volquez really aware of what it takes to continue to be as good as he was this season? Out, outcomes wise uh, you know the the, uh, the the other option um, you know for this game and I don't you know I, I think they I think they made the wrong decision I think Garrett Cole should be uh, pitching this wild card game um, and they should have pitched whoever they needed in that in that uh, finale but um, you know so Garrett Cole had a very perplexing season for me in that he kind of just repeated everything he did last year. Uh, I mean, if you just look at, you know, what he's done in terms of usage, he started the year throwing tons of fastballs again. And then uh, by the end of the season, kind of got his slider curve and change up usage back out of the toilet. And, uh, and I know that it's like something that the pirates uh, would talk about, but, you know, I still just love, all of his pitches. I mean, he's he's got so much velocity. His changeup, sixteen percent whiffs. Slider, eighteen percent whiffs. Curve, seventeen percent whiffs. And you know, even that sort of what happens every season. That he starts out with fastballs, and then by the end of the season, is throwing his other stuff more. I, I even like that because I think that's what his career is going to do. Mm-hmm. I think his career is going to show more fastball uses at the beginning. As his velocity drops off, he's going to use all these secondary pitches more. Yes. The injury this year, I think, does mean that there's going to be more injuries in the future. Um, and, yes, as he throws his junk more, he's going to have uh, more injuries. But just in terms of what his career is going to look like, I see a decent amount of staying power. I see uh, a little bit of upside remaining in the swing strike and strikeout rates. Um, and, 
I see like a Cy Young season. I, I don't, I'm not going to mince words. I see a Cy Young season um, coming. Yeah, I think my kind of hope, I like Cole. I liked the package of Cole. I did not like, and just be clear, I liked the fantasy package of Cole. I've never actually seen the other one. I like, to, to me, like his price coming into this season was just way too much. It was way more than what I was going to going to pay when there were like so many other. I'm hoping it's lower this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I Ray think... was hired. He, he got hurt. Yeah, I think I think overall this season is like a sign that like we should be just as excited, but maybe maybe the hope is that fewer people are excited, or less, yeah. or there is a lot less excitement in general, because it's yeah, still no, all really good. This, since I play more keeper leagues than you, I, I'm th- I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's a, I, that's the question. Know, I'm. I, uh... <laughs> can I go get him as in a keeper league? Like, can I? Can I? Is this a, is this a low period for him to to buy him? And I think, you know, it might be. It, it just depends on your coal owner in your league right is you know yeah that's got to be it's going to depend on the owner like he's he's the kind of guy i wouldn't start the conversation with i would be like well you know maybe we could talk about one of your pitchers too and then the guy can say well you know da, 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 and then you could be like this guy or you know i guess maybe cole or something like that and then right. like it well you know i wasn't really going to part with cole but <laughs> he, he can't he can't be the target what are you talking about cole's not a throw-in he's my best pitcher i hate you <laughs> Oh, sorry. I didn't realize you thought he was that good. All right, let's talk about this. <laughs> Whatever, dude. You know, Cole rhymes with a lot of other things. They're not really good. <laughs> just, yeah, and you definitely – you're not going to get away with a whole lot there, but if you can – because there's still a lot to like. Yeah, there's there's no reason to be any any more off Cole or, yeah, than you were coming into this season. It's just that now hopefully the price is a little less. You know, you know, someone threw out uh, to me when I was talking about. Uh, so, someone asked me for the new next next Michael Brantley, and that one I think is is just impossible because Michael Brantley was around for a while, and all he had going for him was good contact rate, decent defense, and a little bit of speed. And then all of a sudden, he just added power to that package. I mean, does that sound like something that happens a lot? <laughs> it's like. It's almost like Brady Anderson, but Brady Anderson, I think, had more whiffs. Um, I don't, you know, someone said Starling Marte, and I was like, I mean, I get you on the sort of five-tool package a little bit. Um, but I, there's I no, but there's nothing like the pedigree as far as Brantley was concerned. I mean, he was kind of a, yeah, maybe top ten prospect for Cleveland coming up, and then it took him three years to actually earn a regular yeah. role, and yeah, it's nothing and, like and, that. And 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 Marte's already had more fantasy value, you know, sort of coming into this moment. Um, so Brantley had very little fantasy value with the with the sort of homer and stone base totals he was putting up. Uh, he was definitely I, I had him uh, in AL only in AL labor last year just because I thought he was kind of an accruer, a guy who would just be there and get me a ton of uh, plate appearances. So um, I didn't think that he would have this sort of upside. And then to, to put Marte in that boat, I mean, Marte steals more bases and then strikes out a lot more. So he's not, you know, I think of Marte as almost more of a collapse candidate mm-hmm. um, because so far he's had a 360 batting average on balls in play for his career with a, you know, a strikeout rate around a quarter of the time. Uh, and somehow he's managed to hit 282 for his career. And I just, I just don't see that continuing. I, I see that, I see a 270 season much more likely than a 300 season. And yeah. um, maybe it comes with more power, but it's not like he had, uh, he shows much of it in the minor leagues. He's he's showing about the same power that his minor league rates suggest he should have. 
At 25, he's a little bit younger than Brantley was with his blue. I, you know, I will be 26 in a few days, several days. I think that Brantley is uh, himself is is not a great bet to be Brantley next year. So oh, absolutely. I, why I, do I? Why would? I, why am I really looking for a, a Michael Brantley situation? I mean, Brant, Brantley took until he was 27, and we found power picks to be earlier than that. I really. I'm out on Brantley. Do you know there was an early NFBC draft where they took him, uh, I think, 15th? Ugh. Yeah. I can tell exactly you, I can, I can tell you, with virtual certainty, I can tell you I will own zero shares of Michael Brantley next year. I mean, and I, before you even said that, like, I was going to be like, all right, he'll probably go in the top 50, and I'm not going to pay that. But top 15, 15. yeah, you can, yeah. I will kiss. I have, I, already, I have already crossed him off all my 2015 lists. I don't even have any 2015 lists. <laughs> well, we better get on that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's, uh, you know, let's look at the other side of the, uh, the coin. I think um, – you know, I think the, the most interesting young players that sort of could go in any direction are Pablo Sandoval and Brandon Bell. I use young with uh, with uh, quotation marks. Under 30. Uh, yeah, under 30. Uh, and I'm out on Pablo Sandoval. I, I bought a couple shares this year thinking he was finally in good, in good uh, health and this might be his year. And then he just – he did – Almost, even though he had like 50 more play appearances, he did pretty much by rate stats exactly what he did last year. Mm -hmm. And it's just not appealing to me. I mean, it's not an on-base percentage guy. It's not uh, your prototypical power for a third baseman. He doesn't add speed. He used to add sort of uh, the the Vlad Guerrero type batting average uh, where he just made contact on everything. But he doesn't do that anymore. you know, I think he's at 28. I think he's at his weight. I think he's a good bet to break down earlier than others. That's what my research has shown. Uh, I don't think that the from the, the size. Every time I saw Pablo Sandoval get brought, brought up in front of Saban, he sighed. So, you know, and then he said something nice about the guy. But uh, I have a feeling that the Giants aren't going to sign him. I have a feeling someone's going to spend too much money on him. And this is a weird feeling. I'm not sure it's true, but if it's the Dodgers, uh, <laughs> I really out on Sandoval. I just feel like that's not going to work out. Yeah, I could understand that. Sandoval to me is yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how else to capture it except that like, yeah, like you said, it's not. He's kind of that player that it depends on the season, and so as a keeper, um, it's kind of it's it's all about the perceived value, uh, and. I mean, I guess I don't. Yeah, I don't even know how to view this as a success. I I don't even know how to view like his. Why is there, why is there no? Why is there seemingly less hope now for him to? I mean, I guess the two eighty three, two seventy eight, two seventy. He's a two eighty hitter. Yeah. Um. Despite uh, you know only a thirteen percent strikeout rate. With massive with massive DL uh, DL stint uh, risk, I think. Yeah, and and like mid teens power at best. It's kind of like there's not really a lot of. I mean, there's there's probably there's you know there's potentially one huge year there, but you're throwing darts, so there's not really a lot that says, yeah, I need to keep this guy. I mean, it seems like there's a, it's it's a better thing to kind of can I afford to take a shot on him this year if he's thrown back, as opposed to. But even then, I mean, I took I did that exact same thing this year in a couple of leagues, and I don't feel like I got good return. You know, I, I'm thinking about you picked wrong. It was, yeah. it was not the year. <laughs> not the year. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking about also, like, in my 
18 team league where I'm running out Cody Ash and um, and my, Matt Dominguez at third base. Um, you know, like, is this a good time to go get Pablo Sandoval? And it's an on base percentage league. And I think I'd rather, you know, try to collect a, a couple third base prospects and, and see if I can strike gold or just wait for, you know, an old man to, to, to have a great season at third base for me, you know? So I, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to buy there. Brandon Belt, on the other hand, um, you know, it's one nice thing you can see in his in his career is sort of a power progression. Um, you know, at at uh, you know, 26 years old, uh, he had his best power year, even in a, in a small sample. Um, and uh, and from talking to him and hearing about the adjustments that he said he made in terms of he adjusted his grip, he adjusted his stance, uh, and now he's thinking about. You know how they're pitching him inside and out, and, and trying to adjust to that. I, I don't think he's a naturally smart dude, and I think it's taken him a little bit of time to 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 realize how many adjustments he has to make. Um, but I think, you know, next year could be a really good season for him. I'm not saying that it's good enough that you want to keep him, but I I kind of like him as a as a bounce back guy next year. I really want to see what the projections say. Yeah, I, um, I'm kind of simple. That's I was going to ask you. Okay, I mean maybe this is. Maybe the answer is obvious to me, or probably perhaps to you, and so maybe you have to, to change the criteria a little bit. But versus a Hosmer, Butler, or Moss, is it a no-brainer? Way above, yeah. yeah. Way and, and so, like, um, even a belt, like if you have to give up something kind of of modest value to get him, as opposed to any of these other guys who have virtually no cost, I would still yeah, give up to get belt. Yeah, especially in a in a in an on base percentage league because we've seen that he has a good a good patience. I think better patience than he showed this year, and it goes back so far that I think I think I can say he he will have an above average walk rate next year. What we are waiting for is to see what the strikeout rate and the power looks like. The power is trending nicely. The strikeout rate is not, so he might not be a great bet for batting average, but. Um, you know, he's had okay years in that regard in the past. So really, I mean, if you took, if you Frankenstein, you know, <laughs> what he's done so far, you could get a guy who's going to hit 280 with 25 homers, five steals, and a 360 on base percentage. And I'm not pressing that Frankenstein button too hard. You know what I mean? I'm not taking yeah. these outlier type stuff. I'm taking, you know, a decent sort of just progressive, finally sort of putting together the right sort of patience with aggressiveness at 27 years old, I'm not a big believer in the 27 as a, as a round number that really matters. But you know, it, it would it would you know it could really happen where he finally puts 600 plate appearances on the table, you know, 20 to 25 homers, finally gets hits you know 80, 90, 100 in one of in in, in RBI, uh, steals five bases just because he's healthy and having a great year, 280, 360, 500. I mean, it, it, it all those numbers are are in reach and. Um, would be a great season for him, and I think would return a lot of money because I doubt he's going to go for top ten first baseman price. And uh, no matter how you slice it, those are that's top ten first baseman stuff. Do you conceive? I, maybe I'm just overplaying what uh, the perceived value of Hosmer at this point. But do you do, do you could you conceive a draft where Hosmer is still taken before Belt? Which I I mean, yeah, once, yeah, and that's like that's what bothers me is like I don't really see how no, it's I even close. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, first of all, I would love to see like a visual, 
the the visual representation. I would love to see a drawing of you pressing the Frankenstein button. Not too hard. <laughs> that would be awesome. But uh, <laughs> but I yeah I, I really like and Belt's kind of right at that magical fifteen hundred plate appearances into his career kind of thing where it's like. That's kind of that, okay, that's that almost three seasons spent in the major leagues. Now we have a good dose of what he can do from here on out to, like, this is, you know, potential kind of breakout period. And, I mean, he seems like that perfect candidate if you're talking just going into next season. Yeah, and I don't – and I doubt – I think there's enough to scare uh, even other analysts off. I mean, mm -hmm. 27% strikeout rate paired with a swinging strike rate that's always been high – you know, concussions, you know, the the fact that he's never hit uh, 600 plate appearances in a career, in a season, um, especially if you watch him, there's a, there's a high chance that if you're on the West Coast and you watch him a lot, there's a, there's a chance that you're yelling at the screen at him sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he, like I said, he isn't the naturally the smartest dude in the world, and some of these things have taken a while to, to get through, but... Well, if you say that... Sorry, I'm... I... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. But once you have that package, once you sort of realize this is what this is how the game is played, which it seemed like I got that from in the last interview. Um, I think you know you can kind of put things together. Well, yeah, if you're kind of going along those lines, like you're saying, like he's not the quickest to adjust. He's not the smartest player or smartest guy per se. But I mean, he's certainly starting to get it. Um, if I mean, a lot of his his stretches. I mean, because he spent multiple stints on the disabled list, that. You know, a lot of these stretches of plate appearances are kind of broken up, and it's really hard to take any of them at face value, or take take the kind of the cumulative effect of them at face value. So, really, that the strikeout rate might not be nearly as bad as we think it is, based on just on this season. I mean, swinging strike rate rose as well, but it doesn't mean that and you know, a full honestly, season. Yeah, we don't really know. We, there is a lot we don't know. I think, which is, yeah. I think. What I like better than Eric Hosmer, which is like, we, it seems like we know a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> we I know just, enough. <laughs> yeah. I just took a, a look at uh, Belt's bad ball stuff, and uh, I think he has a lot in common with Rizzo. This year. Um, Ooh, uh, now half, you're getting people really excited. <laughs> yeah. Half a foot of uh, distance, average bad ball distance, or, or about maybe a foot of bad ball distance separates Rizzo and Belt. And when you look at their bad ball angles, it's very similar. So there's two two lefties that uh, can spray it a little bit, um, you know, have power to all fields, um, have shown power in the past. Rizzo himself had strikeout rate problems, and then he adjusted something in his swing, and that's why I liked him. So, you know, Belt, what I don't like about Belt is that he swung a lot of inside pitches this year, and... He did, he did so because pitchers were trying to pitch him inside because he couldn't hit them before. But since he changed his grip and he changed his stance, now he can hit some inside pitches. So they're trying to pitch him inside and beat him there, and he's trying to show them that they can't do that. Uh, so that's a little bit of, I think, what the struggle was this year, uh, that sometimes they were still beating him and sometimes he beat them. That's, that's the sort of power strikeout thing that happened. Um, I, I do wonder what happens. They did start to throw him on the outside instead of the inside, and um, I didn't quite see that adjustment where he started going the other way again um, in the in the in the end of the season. So that's why I'm a little bit nervous about it. But um, you know, if I if I put a good number on him, I, I like him. You know what I'm saying? It, it, yeah. it, and my number might be higher than the consensus number. Yeah. No, I I could I could definitely I. I... 
I like Belt. I like. I already kind of liked him coming into next year. I think you've convinced me to like him even more. Uh, Uh-oh. Not quite in Rizzo territory, but I know I did like him. I thought that, I think that, like he's kind of one of those guys that like I you know that uh, he has a lot of elements of a potential breakout and uh, a lot of reasons that people might, or at least some reasons that people might uh, have kind of developed a distaste for him that aren't necessarily uh, reflective of his true talent quite yet. And I mean, those, those are the types of players you also, you like in addition, because it's not going to be the breakout that everybody is going to want. It's going to be the breakout that kind of you and maybe a few others want, and that's going to benefit you at the draft table. That's always good. I think uh, before we cut out, you want to get let's uh, we can talk about this one keeper question that, we, that I have here. And I sent you uh, is that uh, someone just asked a couple of days ago uh, now that his offseason is here and he's, he plays in this in this 10 team uh, five by five mixed league with uh, OBP instead of ba- batting average and uh, with quality starts instead of strike out the walk rate. Or I'm sorry, quality starts and strike out the walk rate instead of wins and saves. And he could keep five, um, <clears throat> and he is certain to keep Goldschmidt at thirty dollars, uh, Jose Abreu, I'm assuming, uh, at fifteen dollars, and uh, Yasiel Puig at ten dollars. And those sound like plenty of good keepers to me. Uh, his others two keeper spots are Max Scherzer, twenty five dollars, Alex Gordon, I'm assuming, at ten dollars, or maybe it could be D Gordon. I'm not really sure now that I think about it. Um, Alex or D Gordon at ten dollars. There, that's a, so that's another uh, hint or make sure you get the, the first names in there uh, or at least yeah, 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 at least initials so we can get a better idea. So make sure if there's any because I, I get questions a lot of times uh, with uh, with a lot of you know, involving these things. And it seems to happen more on Twitter because there's just less room. But uh, sometimes you still, I have to pause for a second. I think that those things help. But uh, anyway, uh Cole, I assume that's Garrett Cole at ten bucks, and Betts at ten dollars. Mookie Betts, Carlos Carrasco at ten dollars, and Travis Darno at five dollars. He's eliminated Darno and Betts. And that's that sounds fair. I mean, I think Darno in a in a ten team mixed league, I'm not going to keep a, a catcher unless it's Buster Posey, I guess, basically. Yeah, he says here that Gordon was great this year. It was it, it wouldn't take much for his value to tank. So I'm thinking that's D Gordon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and if I it was think, Alex, I would def like I was going to say he's a definite. Like even though, especially because it's an OBP league. If it was a batting average league, maybe a little less so. But um, but if it's yeah, if it's D Gordon, which it sounds like, I think my pick is still D Gordon. I mean, did you get to the keepers? There's there's Scherzer at twenty five. Yeah. Gordon yeah. at ten. You said all those. Yep. Yeah. So um, you know. I think he's right to eliminate bets at 10 bucks. There's just too much risk in terms of playing time. As much as I like bets, mm-hmm. he's going to have a great OBP. So, I mean, my eye does go to bets. Uh, shirts are at 25 is okay. If he's competitive, he's a top starter. That's a decent price. I just, you know, it, it doesn't. But I like Cole just as much at $10 or I like Cole yeah. more at $10. And it's still, it's still in essence, a keep five. And I know there's a lot of potential value there, and there might actually be more potential value there than there are with the batters that he's looking at. Mm-hmm. But I just don't feel comfortable. I don't like – if I go five rounds into a draft, I don't want uh, a pitcher. So right. almost, no, almost never. So I don't love this idea that I'm going to go into a season where I have a pitcher and I'm, I'm sort of down a position player to the number I could have. So – uh, my eye goes to Gordon and Betts. Um, definitely don't want to keep Darno, even though I think he might be an okay sleeper uh, or a good pickup next year. I don't want to keep him. So I wish. 
I wish bets was two dollars or five dollars. Well, that's kind of the way I view is like, um, I don't want to go down a say a tenth round pick. If I'm going to go down a tenth round pick for between Cole and Betts in a in a ten team league, and I think I would take it on Cole before Betts because I think that there's more dynamic upside as opposed to just Betts is going to give me OBP and a little bit of power and stolen bases. I guess I don't view. I, I guess I have questions about like how high is the ceiling at least in Betts' second in best second year. Yeah, especially with so many other outfielders on that team. This is actually a really tough one because D Gordon is not a great on base percentage league right uh, guy. But he can almost win you a category, assuming yeah. that he can get on base enough. I'm going to say I think it's still D. Gordon. I mean, yeah, D. Gordon, I think, has definitely got to be one of them. I, I, I think it's a decent keeper set because Goldschmidt is going to have a great on base percentage. Mm-hmm. And I think Puig will have a good one. And uh, I think Abreu will have a good one. So you, you, you're keeping a lot of sluggers with good on base percentage, and you add a speedster to the mix. Um, and, and if you look at that group as a whole, you're going to come out of it with, uh, I would project something like 80 stolen bases. Um, you know, I think so. I don't think 80 is too crazy. Maybe, maybe 70. So you're going to come out of that group with 70 stolen bases and like 80 to 90 homers. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, you can, (laughs) you can go, go buy like a chew at bargain base basement prices, right? Uh-huh. And Chu would fit that team perfectly. He'd give you that last bit of stolen base stuff, and he'd give you he'd give you a little bit of homers, and he'd give you a lot of OBP, and he probably wouldn't cost too much, and he'd just fit in like a glove with that team. So, um, I think you can probably go get on base percentage next year to cover D Gordon. D Gordon at second base. I know there's some uh, collapse, but I think I think he's shown he can play second base defensively. Uh, they didn't, you know, for example, they, they moved Alex, Alexander Guerrero off of second base. So his team believes in him. Um, and um, what, there's also, that's not necessarily, because uh, they're not actually a given to re-sign Hanley, I don't think. And then you come into, I mean, I, I, unless. I got, they're not going to play him at short. I mean, he's just, he, he, does I think he not possess the there. tools? Yeah, he's just, he's just slammed out there. He, he can't, I don't think he can do it, but. Okay. In any case, I mean, I, uh, I know there's some risk in all these. Betts is like sort of the upside play, but with you know with the, the personnel there, I know you could say that Gordon might get platooned with Turner next year, and that's a risk, but the risk with Betts is higher, and then the inherent risk with the pitchers is higher. Um, and uh, as much as I like Cole, Carrasco at 10 bucks, you know, I'd rather have Cole at 10 bucks. so Carrasco at 10 bucks is off the table. Um I think I'd rather have Cole at ten bucks than Scherzer at twenty-five. Just in terms of, I could you know then spend fifteen bucks and get another uh, Sunny Gray Cole type, right? Michael Walker. Uh, yeah, Michael <laughs> Some, Walker. Somebody, is, yeah, somebody will be kept, I'm sure. But you can yeah. you can always find those pitching bargains. I I already, like I already see Cole as a bargain. I don't view Carrasco as a bargain. At ten bucks, no. I, that's because what I want what I'd want to pay for him next year because I think there's collapse collapse rate in there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I guess what we're saying is Cole or Gordon, uh, give it your best shot. And, uh, no, no, Gordon is a definite because he needs to keep two. Oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, I guess we're saying Gordon and Cole. Cool. And then, well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you uh, – the fifth is – I mean, if 
I don't like uh, vets enough to make him my fifth keeper. I don't think so. Over Cole, okay. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, no, that's that's kind of the way I went. Is that I like Cole that's, as that's, the fifth. That's I guess a tough one, but if you if you because, can wait uh, long, if you can wait long, then wait as long as possible because maybe the Boston will trade a, an outfielder. Yeah, and that would be that would be nice. I mean, I think if you came into if you could chalk up six hundred six hundred fifty plate appearances for bets, maybe you could have a debate there. I think, but otherwise, I mean, I, I view it as like if you were just talking keep five, it would. I mean, I, maybe I would, I, you know, I would keep Scherzer, but the cost is the cost difference is so great that I mean, I uh, I much more like Cole at ten bucks than twenty than Scherzer at twenty five. Hope we helped. Yes, guaranteed. Uh, you will owe us next year for your championship. <laughs> I think that is going to do it uh, for episode number one seventy two. Uh, you know, fantastic stuff. We uh, should all wish you very well and much success. Hope your pregnancy or your uh, your <laughs> your pregnant your pregnancy has probably gone fine. Uh, I hope I hope to the, to the delivery for your wife uh, goes <laughs> yes. as smoothly as possible. Thank you. And uh, we hope to be talking to you either before or shortly after uh, that event and, and hear good reports and all those things. Yeah, well, you'll probably hear back from me in a couple of weeks. It's always like uh, warfare for the first week or two. You barely get out of <laughs> you barely get out of your bed. So, um, but uh, I'll uh, get someone to, to to step in for me ably next week, and I'll see you guys uh, when the division series are, are starting to wrap up. That sounds fantastic. Uh, for Eno, I am Nicholas Minix, and this has been The Sleeper and the Bust.